With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash acquire. That's linkedin.com slash acquire. Terms and conditions apply. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welcome to the Caixin Seneca Business Brief, brought to you by SubChina. Each week, we bring you a roundup from the world of business in China from Caixin, China's authority on business and financial news, as well as interviews with Caixin Global reporters and editors. I'm Kaiser Guo from the Seneca Podcast. What an eventful week it's been in the world's second largest economy. If I had to sum everything up, I'd say it all comes down to three C's, chaos, coal, and no prizes for guessing this one, COVID. There's an utterly chaotic tale of how a nursing home resident was found to be alive in a body bag, but more on that later in the show. Beijing has backed the coal industry with 15 billion U.S. dollars worth of credit, and a major sports event has been called off as the virus threat remains at large. With nothing but the biggest stories out of China, here is your weekly business brief. It looks like China is set on sticking to the zero-COVID policy for the foreseeable future. Last week, the country's leadership restated the importance for the country to adhere to the dynamic zero-COVID strategy, that is, amid mounting concerns over the economic costs. According to a meeting of the Politburo Standing Committee chaired by President Xi Jinping, China's pandemic prevention work is reaching a critical stage where failure to advance will lead to retreat. The committee stated that persistence is victory and that it is too early to stand down as outbreaks remain high worldwide and the virus continues mutating. Given how China has a large elderly population with imbalanced and insufficient medical resources, the committee said that relaxing COVID controls would lead to widespread infections, many deaths, as well as damage to the economy and people's health. The top decision-making body also stated that China will resolutely adhere to the dynamic zero-COVID strategy and fight against any speech that distorts, questions, or negates the virus control policies. Meanwhile, in other news, foreign companies in China seem to be feeling the pinch from the country's zero-COVID policy. A number of European businesses with operations in the world's second-largest economy are cutting revenue projections for the year, citing supply chain disruption risks and uncertainties stemming from domestic COVID restrictions. Nearly 60% of businesses surveyed last month by the European Union Chamber of Commerce said they expect 2022 revenue to decline, mostly by between 6% and 15%. That's according to a recent report issued by the Chamber. 
Almost a quarter of the respondents said they are now considering shifting current or planned investments out of China to other markets. That's more than double the number that were considering doing so at the beginning of 2022. It's also the highest proportion in a decade. The survey was conducted between April 21st and 27th, covering 372 European companies operating in China. The chamber said the survey was made to assess the impact of China's COVID-19 policy and Russia's war in Ukraine on European business in China. The results show that both factors are creating severe challenges, with logistics suffering the most. Some 94% of the companies said they have felt negative impacts on logistics from China's stringent virus control measures. Most of the respondents in the EU chamber survey said China should focus on vaccinating the entire population, including those older than 60. And 82% said positive cases with no or mild symptoms should be permitted to quarantine at home to alleviate pressure on the health system. Another major sports event has become a COVID casualty. The Olympic Council of Asia announced Friday that this year's Asian Games have been postponed due to the virus. For anyone not familiar, the Asian Games are the second largest multi-sport event after the Olympic Games. They had been scheduled to take place in September in the eastern Chinese city of Hangzhou. The city had been preparing to host around 27,000 people, including 10,000 athletes from Asian and Oceanian countries and regions. The new date of the 19th Asian Games is yet to be confirmed. Meanwhile, the Asian Youth Games have now been canceled after being postponed earlier. The Asian Youth Games had been due to take place in December in South China's Guangdong province. The organizer added that the next Asian Youth Games will therefore be held in 2025 in Uzbekistan. Last week has also not been all fun and games for certain Chinese tech firms. Washington has added firms including JD.com, Pinduoduo, and Bilibili to a list of stocks that could be banned from U.S. exchanges. Bloomberg reports that the U.S. securities regulator put the corporations on a provisional lineup of U.S.-traded Chinese businesses that face delisting under a 2020 law starting a three-year clock to comply with inspection requirements. The news reflects on the latest twist in ongoing tensions between Beijing and American regulators who are demanding access to the financial audits of Chinese enterprises. But it's not all bad news for tech companies. China's central bank has said that it will adopt so-called normalized supervision of the sector's financial activities and support its healthy development. The statement from the People's Bank of China, or PBOC, backs up recent remarks from top policymakers signaling an easing of the year-long fintech sector crackdown. In a statement published on its website last week, the central bank said it will promote completion of a special rectification of platform companies' financial businesses, introduce normalized supervision, and bolster the sector's healthy development. The central bank vowed to implement policies announced after a recent Politburo meeting to provide financial support to stabilize the economy. In addition, the PBOC said it will optimize credit policies for the real estate sector, strengthen financial support for technology innovation, and expand credit access to micro and small enterprises. It added that policies 
that have been put in place should be implemented faster. And that's not the only big announcement coming from China's central bank. The PBOC also made headlines after saying it will provide 100 billion yuan, or $15 billion, of credit lines to support coal development and storage as the country seeks to secure its energy supply. According to the bank, the credit lines will be issued through relending facilities to enhance safe coal production and reserves, including modern coal mine construction, green and efficient technology application, intelligent mine construction, and secured supply to coal-fired power plants. An official at the central bank said that the funding support is to address the, quote, greater uncertainty and challenges, end quote, facing China's energy security and stable economic operation amid a complex global situation and highly volatile global energy prices. And finally, we've got an update on the troubled property giant Evergrande. The company's onshore unit won bondholder approval to extend payments by six months on two yen-denominated notes originally due late last week. That's according to filings with the Shanghai Stock Exchange. Evergrande is weighed down by more than $300 billion of liabilities and in the midst of a debt restructuring. The company faces a peak of debt payments, or buybacks, this month that started in April. The extension aims to avoid an onshore bond default. Currently, Evergrande has 13 outstanding bond issues with a total balance of nearly 56 billion yen, or over $8 billion. Evergrande has said it will unveil a debt restructuring proposal for its creditors by the end of July, fulfilling a promise it made to investors in January. But in two teleconferences with creditors in January and March, the company didn't clarify whether the debt restructuring will include both onshore and offshore debts. Let's turn now to Nandini Venkata, who is, of course, Caixin Global's podcast producer and co-producer of this show. Welcome back, Nandini. Hey, Kaiser. Great to be here. Okay, so I understand this week you're going to be filling us in on a rather shocking story about a nursing home resident who was in a body bag and found to be alive moments before. Well, I'll let you tell it, Nandini. At the center of the story is a 75-year-old woman. Um, and yes, as you say, she was somehow mistaken as to being dead and moved to a funeral parlor. Um, and it has sent shockwaves across the country, but it's also been extremely devastating for the people um, close to her, namely her family. Here's what we know so far about the story. On May the 1st, a lady called Wang Xiaomei, that's a pseudonym, uh, we're protecting her privacy. Um, she was woken up early in the morning. She had received a phone call from a nursing home in Shanghai where her 75-year-old sister had been living. And the nursing home told Wang Xiaomei that her sister had passed away. Very soon after receiving this phone call, Wang Xiaomei and her husband both headed to the nursing home. They were then given a death confirmation letter and they were recommended by the nursing home staff to go to a nearby community hospital. And this was in order to receive a formal declaration of her sister's death. So in order to get this declaration, Wang Xiaomei says that she just had to answer a bunch of simple questions. 
And then uh, two mortuary workers arrived at the nursing home to collect the body. As far as we understand, the body had been thoroughly disinfected. It had also been zipped up in a body bag and then put on a stretcher outside the nursing home. But then what is the kind of moment of horror is that a mortuary worker um, picked up the body and then noticed that the body was actually moving. They then called, uh, the two mortuary workers then called a nursing home staff to unzip the body and have a check. And, you know, to everyone's shock, they realized that this person was actually still alive. Perhaps, as some of your listeners will know, this um, moment was actually captured on video and that video clip has since gone viral. Yipes. I haven't seen the video myself yet, and I'm wondering why anyone would be videotaping that particular moment. Anyway, what has been the reaction to all of this nationally? Oh, well, there's just been so much outrage. I mean, this has caused a wave of controversy. Um, You haven't just had people condemning the nursing home at the center of the story, but there's also been a huge debate about alleged negligence and indifference among those who are working in the elderly care system. Um, We do know that since all of this happened, the local authorities in Shanghai did punish four district officials, and they have also punished two nursing home employees. Those employees include the director of the nursing home, who's been removed from their post and also placed under investigation. Likewise, the nursing home's resident doctor is also under investigation. Of course, I'm sure that a lot of people may be curious about how Wang Xiaomei is feeling about this. I mean, the thought that her family member was mistaken um, to be dead and, you know, having to go through this whole crazy emotional roller coaster ride. Um, well, it seems that she contacted the police, who later did confirm that her sister was alive. Wang Xiaomei also made, you know, a really important point. Um, she says that if it wasn't for the mortuary workers noticing this movement in the body mag, then her sister could very well have ended up being incinerated while alive. And of course, that is an extremely disturbing thought. Now, in the meantime, um, in case any of our listeners are wondering, um, we don't know how her sister is doing, but we have heard that she has been sent to a hospital. So doubtless, many listeners are probably wondering, How was this lady declared dead in the first place? I mean, how was that possible? Yeah, so, I mean, that's the question that's at the very heart of the story. Um, So in order to get a declaration of death, there are actually some really strict rules that a doctor has to follow in order to confirm that a patient has indeed passed away. Um, For example, the doctor would need to check indicators of breathing, pulse, pupils, and electro cardiogram. Um, One health worker in Shanghai said that this type of confirmation must actually be made in the presence of the deceased um, family, or there should be records for at least half an hour of final resuscitation. But then again, this same source said that the majority of nursing homes don't have the capacity to carry out such rescues. Um, So the common practice is to simply call an ambulance and then send the patient to a professional hospital. And the source also said that they didn't understand why the nursing home could 
directly declare someone to be dead. A lot of questions have also been raised about the um, the home's resident doctor. So several employees of the home told Saishin that although the resident doctor did have a medical certificate, the doctor actually had little clinical experience. And most of this clinical experience was only in rural clinics. Now, one employee was actually pretty blunt, and they said that the resident doctor didn't have the ability to diagnose. On another very worrying note, another staff member alleged that the nursing home actually used fake qualification documents when um, it was inspected by the authorities. All right. Thanks so much. And that's it for this week. Thanks for listening. The Caixin Seneca Business Brief is produced by Kaiser Guo and Nandini Venkata with stories from the staff of Caixin Global. Special thanks to Li Xin of Caixin Global. Thanks to Spring and Autumn for the music. Check out some of the other great podcasts on the Seneca Network, like the amazing China in Africa podcast and China Corner Office. And for daily news and views, make sure to subscribe to SubChina Access for the daily newsletter. Find us at subchina.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Take care.